Hello, and welcome to Lux Sci, a podcast to reignite your wonder by exploring the intersection of science and luxury. I'm your host, Dr. Lex. A little about me, I have a master's in public health microbiology, a PhD in microbiology and immunology, and over a decade of experience in infectious disease and global health, working for pharmaceutical companies, nonprofits, and at the NIH and the CDC. As this is the first episode, a few housekeeping items to get out of the way before we start. Number one, I am not going to claim to be an expert in every scientific field we discuss, but that's not the goal of this podcast. The goal is to add a little fun and sparkle to science using some relatable items. So we won't become experts, but we will discover some cool scientific facts and some really amazing linkages between the commercial world and the scientific world. Number two. As someone who has spent years in the scientific community, I'm very used to being corrected and always seeking to learn new things. So if I got something wrong or incomplete, uh, corrections are encouraged in a kind and collaborative way, but being snarky or rude about the correction is totally not cool. So episode one is going to be about plaid. I decided to coordinate this first topic with the timing of my podcast launch. And since it's the fall, nothing says let's go pick out a pumpkin uh, to me quite like a good plaid. Now, before I get an onslaught, or probably more likely a tiny ripple of messages about how plaid isn't a luxury item, uh, I will refer listeners to the luxury brand Burberry, which is based around a plaid the exquisitely cool Alexander McQueen ensemble that Sarah Jessica Parker wore for the 2006 Met Gala, and there was even a plaid ensemble this this year's Met Gala worn by Avril Lavigne, and you'll see plaid uh, come up in fall collections by designers fairly frequently. As an aside, what is currently defined as luxurious in the U.S. is often done so through a Western and white lens. And I'd like us to be open to all of the interpretations of what is luxurious. So back to the plaid. I chose this topic for a personal reason as well. My maiden name is Scottish, and each clan in Scotland has their own tartan or plaid. Uh, we'll get into the difference between the two in a bit. Though apparently a relatively recent in- invention... Scottish clans each have their own tartan with distinct colors, mine being very red-green holiday-appropriate variety. As this isn't a history podcast, I won't go into the history of Scottish tartans, though it's very interesting if you'd like to look it up. I will say, though, that it's kind of cool to have a family tartan. So a tartan versus a plaid. According to the ever-ubiquitous and mostly reliable source Wikipedia, Tartan is alternating bands of colored threads woven as both warp and weft at right angles from each other. This forms visible diagonal lines where different colors cross, giving the appearance of new colors blended from the original ones. Plaid, in contrast, was a piece of tartan cloth worn as a type of kilt or shawl. Since I'm based here in the U.S., And Americans have a long history of altering meanings of things, especially historical meanings. I'm going to use plaid uh, in this podcast to mean the pattern. So what do plaid and science have in common? Well, it turns out that plaid is used by researchers to discover how our visual processing system recognizes certain patterns. I love anything to do with the brain, but I have to say that this, looking into this topic was challenging for me. 
The visual processing system in humans is very complex, and the jargon in this field is akin to reading a foreign language, or at least it was for me. That being said, it's still really interesting, so let's all go on this learning journey together. At the very least, you can sound super impressive at your next cocktail party when someone is wearing plaid by saying, did you know that plaids are used in visual processing research? But maybe that's just me and the group of people that I hang out with. So we're going to start with the basics on visual processing. The visual cortex is the part of our brains responsible for processing visual information. It's located in the occipital lobe, which is in the back near the base of our skull. Information arrives at the visual cortex via the lateral geniculate nucleus through the thalamus. There are six different areas, V1 through V6, to the visual cortex, and two main streams of information through those areas. One stream is the ventral stream, which is associated with form recognition and object representation, and the other is the dorsal stream, associated with motion control of the eyes and arms and representation of object location. Neurons in the visual cortex fire action potentials, or nerve impulses, when certain stimuli arrive in their receptive fields. There is a hypothesis called neural toning, which posits that neurons selectively respond to specific patterns through experience. This is from Dr. Hubble in 1959, and he showed that V1 neurons have been found to be tuned to certain orientations, sizes, positions, and forms. So essentially saying that you have specific neurons that respond to specific visual cues, and that, it, that might be a learned condition by those neurons. So those are the very basics of visual processing. There's one other topic we have to cover before we can delve into the plaid research and that is the topic of filters. I will say multitudinous thanks to a primer that I found on the internet published by Aston University in the UK on filters. It was extremely helpful for me to read that and better understand the filter research while I was delving into the visual processing research. So what is a filter? A filter is something that receives input and passes on some of the input as an output. So think a sieve or a strainer. If we're talking about image processing, then both the input and the output are images, so what gets filtered? Well, it turns out that the human eyes filter out spatial frequencies from the input they receive. It would seem that filtering out information would be detrimental to sight, but it turns out to be a good thing, as the spatial frequencies that are filtered out would not be used by our visual processing system anyway, and would just be clutter. Now, there's a very scientific explanation for this phenomenon, but I'm going to take points from this amazing tutorial that I found that you can find um, on our website, under my show notes, I have all the references there. So the analogy is, you remember when we were kids, or at least if you're my age and we were kids, and we used to make mix CDs for all of our besties or romantic interests or for that perfect road trip. So the input signal here, music, might contain audio frequencies that are higher than the frequency used to make the CD, and so they couldn't be heard. If those higher frequencies aren't removed, they would produce low-frequency aliases that could lead to auditory interference. So, like the CD, I know, ancient technology, but still, still relevant, your eyes apply filters to spatial information to reduce clutter and interference. 
So that was a ton of background, but we made it through. Any questions, you know, let me know. But let's move on to the plaid. So plaid has been used for some time in the field of visual processing research to understand how your eyes and mind see and comprehend patterns and how those filters I mentioned before are used in image processing. In one experiment by Georgeson et al. in 1997, plaids were stretched and filtered with various parameters to show and shown to participants who cl classified the appearance of the plaid into one or two categories, for example, squares or diamonds. The researchers found that components of plaids are visually combined in a variety of ways and that neurologically humans selectively group and combine the outputs of oriented spatial filters to achieve these different visual perceptions of plots. So pause here. Everyone still with me? A little recap. So far we've learned that visual processing happens in the visual cortex in the brain and that our visual processing systems use filters to block information that would not get used and would create interference. Additionally, these spatial filters are grouped and combined to achieve different visual perceptions, and PLAID helped researchers figure that last part out. Pretty cool, right? I think so. So the next step was to have scientists move from stationary PLAIDs to looking at the perceived motion of PLAIDs. We're going to take a quick tangent to get some background on motion perception, which means we're back to Wikipedia and looking at the dorsal stream. Remember that from above? Dorsal stream, motion, cool. Motion perception is inferring the speed and direction of an object based on various inputs. Motion perception is part of human eyesight that has been really challenging for scientists to unpack and determine exactly what's going on. I'm going to be really simplistic with this explanation in the interest of time and because the theories on motion detection are still hotly debated. And trust me, scientific debates about seemingly obscure things can get pretty tense. So if you want to delve into that, just be aware that you're in for the drama. First order motion perception contains both beta movement or apparent movement, where stimuli can be switched off and on alternatively give the illusion of movement, so think racing Christmas lights. Um, and fun fact, this is the basis of television. First order motion perception also contains the phi phenomenon, and that happens when the distance between stimuli is just right and the alternation is faster and produces an effect of an object moving quickly between two points and occluding the stimuli, sort of like strobe lights. One current model of how this all happens is that there are motion sensors in the visual system that detect a change in luminescence on a part of the retina and correlate it with a change in luminescence on a neighboring part of the retina with a short delay. Think the racing Christmas light model. Second order motion perception is when the moving object is characterized by a feature other than changing luminescence, such as contour or texture. And finally, third-order motion perception is a kind of mapping exercise where motion of objects is defined as marked or unmarked. Kind of like your brain making a map, pinning some things as constant and detecting motion based on those constants. So in summary, in early visual processing, three independent systems extract motion information from visual inputs and they are combined at a later stage. So back to the research. So a group headed by a researcher named Sperling 
So Sperling et al, that's what et al means, it's a group of researchers with the primary author or the person doing the most of the work being the one that is named. So this group of researchers wanted to look at how motion is visualized in plaid. You know when you stare at a pattern long enough and it seems to move? This is a common trick with plaid visualization. So taking data from a large data set on plaids and visualization, the researchers found that only two out of the three motion perception systems respond to plaids. So it's system one, racing Christmas lights, and system three, mapping. And that the response includes direction and not speed, which makes sense. There doesn't seem to be necessarily a speed when you're looking at a pattern and you see movement. This leads researchers to hypothesize that motion, direction, and speed are processed independently in early visual processing. Now you may be thinking right now, or 10 minutes ago, what exactly did I get myself into listening to this podcast? Or, yeah, it's all well and good to know how we see, but what difference does that make really? Research published in 2008 in Graf's Archive for Clinical and Experimental Ophthalmology, a group led by a researcher named Eisenbarth used plaids to investigate motion contrast sensitivity in subjects with age-related maculopathy, a degenerative disease of the retina. The scientists set up a testing apparatus that consisted of a white screen with a rectangular cutout, LED screen, and images were projected, participants were asked to identify the direction of motion of patterns from a fixed reference point. That part doesn't sound particularly fancy, but surprise, letting you in on the secret, not all science is fancy, but there was a fair amount of fancy math that was went into the analysis. Additional tests were run to measure color perception and other types of motion perception. The researchers found that patients with this degenerative maculopathy had a severely impaired central visual field, which is beyond the borders of the macula in the eye where the disease is thought to occur. Essentially, the science showed that visual perception was impaired beyond what had been previously thought for this condition. This was thought to be a critical finding since although these perceptual limitations may not be evident to the people with this disease, they are important for safe mobility and driving. Now the sample size, n equals 18, was relatively small, so I'm sure there'll be conformational studies, but it does show how PLAID is used in research to better understand visual perception impairments and the usefulness of this kind of research. So that was a lot of heavy visual processing science that we just went through. For something a little bit different, I found a study that was published in 2020 by Ku et al. in the Journal of Evidence-Based Complementary and Alternative Medicine. So here, the researchers had 120 older adults in Taiwan randomly assigned to engage in either mandala coloring, plaid coloring, freeform drawing, or reading groups for 20 minutes. The researchers measured each participant's anxiety levels using a validated scale at baseline after a brief anxiety induction, which I would not want, and at the end of the assigned activity. Although plaid coloring did not turn out to be anxiety reducing in this study, mandala coloring did, so next time you're stressed out about something, maybe find a mandala to color. I hope that you found this little foray into visual processing research to be as fun as I have, and that the next time you see a Burberry print or a plaid scarf, you'll think about spatial orientation filters in your eyes. Thank you for listening to this inaugural episode of Lux Sci. A very special thank you to my audio engineer, Demos. Our theme music is Harlequin Mood by Birdie. 
If you have a correction, comment, or praises, you can reach me at drlex at luxci, that's L-U-X-E-S-C-I dot com. We are on Twitter at luxcipod and Instagram at luxcipod. If you like us, please subscribe. If you really like us, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll see you again in two weeks.